Welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Absolutely thrilled that you're joining us this morning. Um, if you're new, my name's Ryan. And like Chris said, we're kicking off a new series and we're entering into a new season. It's actually pretty historic for us as a church, and we're excited to share more about that. And so before we kick off the new series, I'd like to talk about this new season that we're diving into. And to preface it, what I want to let you know is uh, this has been a deep process for us. Our leadership, our staff, we've been fasting and praying for months. We've had lots of conversations with uh, people. And this has been, so you're going to hear some stuff for the very first time. It's really exciting. You're going to go, have they thought about this? Have they thought about this? The answer is yes, um, we have. And you're going to get some, it's really healthy. Like we want to answer all those questions. Today, I I just want to give you a snapshot of where we're headed uh, and, and what we're going to be uh, stepping into as a church. In fact, over my sabbatical, one of my prayers for us as a church, had, I had about three dreams this fall for us. Not like I had a dream, but you know, like a dream, like this is my dream for us. Uh, one is that we'd make a tangible impact uh, among the most vulnerable in our society. That we would have this tangible, like, not just like words, but we would make an impact uh, among the needy in our society, the hurting in our society. The other uh, had to do with our groups and that, that you would become self-feeders. Right? Like I, my passion is not that you come and hear just a great sermon. I want it to be that. Lord willing, that will be that. But is that as you would grow and that you would be able to open up God's word and hear from him on your own. The third is that we'd take a, a big step of faith. That we'd be a church that learns how to trust God with all that we are and find that he is trustworthy. This is one of those big steps of faith for us as a community. And, and so I want to remind you of why we gather before we dive into this because every decision we make at Awakening revolves around our vision. And we started this church a little over six years ago with this dream, this vision. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. Our vision is fundamentally about transformation, that you would experience this radical new life that is extended and offered in Jesus, not a rehashing or somehow to make your old life better. Uh, and it's about this generation. I love this service because we have tons of this generation in this service. Our previous service has lots of families. And what I love is we're a church with multiple generations that gather and say, this generation we want to see reached because we believe in them. Like if you're, you know, maybe my age or a little bit older and maybe a lot older, um, right? Like what we have in common is we want to pass on the baton of leadership to the next generation and leave the church in a better place than when we found it. And so we want to raise up the next generation of leaders. And those of us who are parents, and I, you know, I have teenagers now, and um, it's this whole idea of like, man, I long for my kids to love Jesus for a lifetime, not just a time in their life. And one of the things I just, like, like when my kids go off to college and come home, I want them to feel like they're at home and they have a place and their church speaks their language uh, and understands them. And I love that many of you, I see just the kids' t-shirt, 
of this generation investing in the next generation. What a great way from youth to kids and seeing young people and you're making an impact in our kids' life of doing that. And our vision drives us in what we're doing next. And this is actually the stepping out to help us accomplish it more effectively than we have had in the past. In fact, think about this. This is not about incremental change, but how can we step into a catalyst to fundamentally change how we do what we do? And what we're doing in the next few weeks unpacking is this idea of above and beyond campaign. Well, what is it? We believe we serve the God who goes above and beyond uh, what we could ask or imagine, and so we want to be in position to steward the blessing of God. Now, God is moving and working on this planet, period. The question isn't whether God is moving or working. The question is, are we in position as a people, are we in position as a community to be conduits of his working and moving on this planet? And that's where we want to be as a church. We want to be in position to steward what he's doing. I don't know if you look around, but God's been growing this little church. Our first service is packed. Our second service is getting more packed. And we want to be able to steward that in awakening this generation. And so what are we going to do? We're going to embark on something that's a step of faith for us. A two-year campaign to raise $1.5 million above and beyond our regular giving to strategically position us for what God has next. Now, what does that look like? What are we going to accomplish? Uh, first of all, 20% of what comes in we're going to, is going to go to local and global impact over the two-year campaign. $300,000. Uh, we've invested deeply with Haiti, and we want to do some things that are significant when it comes to the area of human trafficking uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, and this is important for you to know, those have been around. We've always done a generous campaign every single year, been a part of that. This will be in place of our generous campaign and yet allow us to be far more generous than we ever have in the past. Think about giving away $150 over the next, uh, each year over the next two years. And then 80% will go to a longer-term location here at Awakening Church. Now, I don't want you to think of building I want you to think about how do, can we have a strategic training center to raise up the next generation of leaders? How can we create a place, by the way, that is a resource and a lighthouse to the community around? Right? And so one of the things you probably don't know um, is that uh, we love our time at Del Mar. We love what God's doing here. It's been such a joy. But you probably don't know that every week's a little bit of an adventure for us. Um, we have a Saturday setup team that spends two to three hours setting up. We have a Sunday morning setup team that spends a few hours to set up. And then we have a, a Sunday afternoon team that tears everything, everything down every single week. It's amazing. I'm humbled by how many people serve in this church. Now, with the school district, what's fascinating is um, we're not always guaranteed this space. In fact, we paid for a Saturday setup last night. Um, and yet the school said, hey, we actually need that space. So, okay, so we didn't have a Saturday setup. We had a group show up at 6 a.m., 15 people this morning, 6 a.m., in this room, prepared the way for what God's going to do in this By the way, can we just thank them real quick? That's amazing. That's awesome. October 21st, two Sundays from now, 
originally, it was blocked off. We didn't even have this space. So our team spent a lot of hours figuring out what are we going to do? How do we move hundreds of people and figure out what are we going to do for church that Sunday? Came up with a creative, great plan, and then all of a sudden it came on, uh, you know, that, that we could schedule it. We live in that in a constant battle. So we love our time here. God's done some great things, but it is time for us to lean into what's next. So why a long-term location? Well, one, it'll better position us to accomplish our vision. We're growing. We're actually maxing out this space. First service is maxed. This service is growing to be maxed. Uh, And our current location is quickly becoming the lid for continued impact. Uh, Just imagine having a space where our school of faith, our protégés, midweek gatherings, every time we do a a gathering with our leaders, it's a challenge. And this is, what a great problem, by the way. Let's just talk about this. What a great problem that we have so many people leading and serving in our church, we don't have space to host them anymore. Like, how awesome is that? That is a, I love solving good problems in the church. Like, we don't have parking for people. Awesome. Let's figure that out. We don't have seats for people. Awesome. Let's figure that out. And we're not solving problems like, what's the color of the carpet? And you painted that. And wah, 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 wah. We have great problems that we're solving. But imagine, just imagine if we were able to utilize the collective energy that goes into every single weekend into furthering our vision. So how are we going to accomplish this? Well, one, we're going to teach our way there. The next seven weeks, this series above and beyond. And what I want you to hear, this series is one in where I long for God to do a deep work in you to lean into the vision and plan he has for your life specifically and to help us learn how to do that collectively as a group. We're going to pray our way there. Wherever prayer focuses, the power of God falls And next week is all on prayer, and we're going to pray strategically as a church in this next season. My dream and my commitment is that we are going to lead this church from our knees, go forward on our knees. This morning, I'm not not trying to brag, I'm not trying to say anything, it's just, just, I was on my knees for you. Because I think there's something about our posture before God that aligns our heart. That we would be a community on our knees for our city on our knees for our workplace, on our knees for our neighbors and our campus. Okay, so we're going to teach our way there. We're going to pray our way there. And then we're going to give. We're going to give above what we normally give to go beyond where we're normally able to go. We're going to give above what we normally give to go beyond what we're normally able to do. In fact, if you wouldn't mind, in your notes, write down November 11th. November 11th, if we had everybody show up in our church on one Sunday, we'd have roughly around 500 adults. Chances are, what well, the reality is, is most people show up one out of every three um, weeks. I want everybody here November 11th. It's the Sunday where we're going to celebrate and ask as a church, okay, what are we going to give above and beyond what we normally give so that we can go where we can, uh, normally aren't able to go? Uh, and I'm going to ask you, hey, what, it's going to be Celebration Commitment Sunday. Would you join us that Sunday? In fact, this whole series, I just would ask, would you join us the entirety of it? I know some of you travel and you can't be here on Sundays. Listen, we, we're live streaming right now on Facebook. We're live streaming right now on our, our website. We podcast. You can watch. You can listen. You can get it anyway. But join us for this season together. Now, chances are, 
for many of you, a thousand questions just came to your mind about all that's happening and going on. And have you thought about this? And have you prayed for a free building? Yes, we've prayed for a free building. Have you pursued other churches? Yes, we've pursued other churches, right? So, but those questions are good questions. Next week, we'll have an FAQ sheet, and it'll be posted online. And I'm actually going to all our groups. I'll be in startup today, uh, but I'm hanging out. So if you're in a group, you'll probably see me, uh, and we'll get to hang out a little bit more. If you have questions, we want to be able to answer those and wrestle with you and do that along the way, okay? This is an exciting, amazing season as we step forward and trust God for what he has next. All right. Before we dive into the sermon, would you pray for me? Pray, yeah, would you pray for me? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be different. I'd love that. Um, how about I pray for us? Jesus, as I look over this group, you brought us here to speak your word. I ask that in the moments to come that you would get me out of the way that you would touch our hearts, that we wouldn't just be simple, simply hearers of your word, we'd be doers, God, that, that you would make us a people that are a lighthouse for those you bring into our life. You would make us a people passionate about what you're passionate about, that would you lead us, would you teach us, in Jesus' name, amen. Above and beyond, part one, here we go. What this is about fundamentally is how do you live life above and beyond the status quo? How do you live life above the mediocrity, the apathy, just going through the motions, just kind of existing, eking your way to significance and meaning, to living a life of purpose that actually makes a difference? There's this incredible truth we find in 2 Chronicles 16.9 is true in the Old Testament, is true today. And I wish I had time to unpack the context for you because it's profound, the context. And I encourage you to go back and read it, 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. It's ta- the prophet is talking to this king Asa. And, and Asa, 35 years, walked faithfully with God and then encountered a problem, encountered something that looked impossible. Instead of leaning into God, he leaned into his own capacity, leaned into his own strength, leaned into their own resources and sought help outside of God. And so unfortunately, this truth and promise of God is actually wrapped in a a very painful part of Israel's history. But it reminds us of what God is doing right now in this moment. This is true then, it is true today, it's true right here. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Like the eyes of the Lord are scanning Silicon Valley. The eyes of the Lord are scanning your workplace. They're scanning your college or university campus. The eyes of the Lord are are scanning, looking everywhere that he might strongly support, like the wind of God would be blowing on your back, those whose heart are completely his. The principle here is God chooses and uses ordinary people whose hearts are fully his to do extraordinary things. God chooses and uses 
ordinary, everyday people whose hearts are his. That's the qualification. That's it. That's all all it takes to do extraordinary things, to make a significant impact. Isn't it amazing? Because we kind of think God chooses and uses the most talented. God chooses and uses the smartest. God chooses and uses the most affluent and influential. God chooses and uses, well, maybe I'm not old enough. Maybe I'm just a high schooler. Could God choose and use me? Absolutely. Well, I'm not a clergy. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a professional Christian. Could God choose and use me? God delights. God delights to use you. He works through ordinary, everyday people like you and me to accomplish his purposes on this planet. And the question question for us today is, will we answer the call to make a significant impact with this pivotal, in this pivotal moment of history? This is a pivotal moment in history, and we can get wrapped up in the politics of America, or we can align our hearts with God's agenda on this planet. This is a pivotal moment in history, and perhaps God has placed you in the Silicon Valley for such a time as this. One of the things that I love about our vision, I don't know if you noticed it, but it wasn't about Silicon Valley, it wasn't. It wasn't about San Jose. It wasn't about a unique, certain college campus, even though we love all of that. This generation. Well, where's this generation? Everywhere. God's put a dream on our heart to, see, to be a catalyst among this generation to see awakening across the globe. And I believe he strategically positioned us in the Silicon Valley to do just that. Because what happens here spreads around the world. Well, in the next six sessions, we're going to examine the conditions that characterize those whom God strongly supports. Those who God uses to make a significant impact. We're going to look at the life of Nehemiah. We're going to be studying the book of Nehemiah. It's titled after the principal character. Uh, This book is about um, really his memoirs, uh, giving us an intimate portrayal of his leadership journey. Nehemiah held the highest position in the Persian Empire. He's a Jewish man in the Persian Empire. He was cupbearer to the king which gave him incredible access and influence with the king of Persia. And it came at a cost because every meal could have been his last. And yet he had this incredible position. Put it in modern day terms, Nehemiah was a successful business person, the top of his industry, living the life, power, prestige, influence, wealth. And yet something took place that moved him to embrace a calling above and beyond his current comfortable life. And I love this. I love studying Nehemiah because I think we naturally self-select ourselves out of the process. I'm just a student. Uh, I'm just working at this job. I don't even have a career yet. I'm I'm just working at this job Hoping to get a career. Well, I'm just working at this startup. And we see it wasn't the professional Christian 
But God used this ordinary business person to bring about incredible change and actually redirect the course of Israel's history. We pick it up. Chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Nehemiah. Listen to how his journey begins. It says, The word of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah, in the month of Kislev, that's late November, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the capital city of Persia, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Underline that phrase, Jewish remnant. He's asking about the people of God that had survived the exiles and also about Jerusalem. Underline that word, word Jerusalem. He's asking about the place of God's dwelling. Now, a little context and history for us. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem was besieged by Babylon. They eventually were taken down and they were exiled. The best and the brightest were taken from Jerusalem. They tore down the walls. They tore down the temple. They left whoever was there just to survive on their own. And the best and the brightest were taken to Babylon to serve in the kingdom, to be indoctrinated. We actually taught about this when you taught earlier in the year with Esther and Daniel. Now, about 70 years after that, Persia conquered Babylon. And Persia, after they conquered Babylon, they said, hey, how are we going to bring stability to our kingdom? We're going to take all these people that the Babylonians exported out from their homelands here, and we're going to send them back. And so they'll be in our good graces and lead the way we want them to lead. And so we saw this returning of exiles back to Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel and Ezra returned back to Jerusalem, and their heart and their goal, and they rebuilt the temple and their there was just this movement and wave of like, okay, we got some momentum happening. And this is, Nehemiah is asking about 70 years after that return, he's asking his brother, okay, the Jewish remnant, the Jewish remnant that, that went back and, and Jerusalem, like my homeland that I've never been to. Think about that. Nehemiah was born in captivity, raised in captivity under Persian rule, and yet his heart is connected to something in a place he's never been to before. Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Without walls, the people are defenseless. Without walls, the people are a disgrace. They are set up to fail. There's no way to gain positive momentum. Uh, the people were consistently raided by surrounding nations. The minute they began to get their feet underneath them, they would be pushed back down. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. How do we become a people who live above and beyond the status quo? Just kind of the everyday going through the motions to, to living out a significant life, to making a difference. Well, the first prerequisite is that we are a people who have a dislocated heart. First prerequisite for, for the type of person that God strongly supports is that, that, that we're a people with a dislocated or a broken heart, that our hearts begin to break for the things of God. Notice, and remember, I had you underline 
Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant, the people of God and the place of God's dwelling. Now, we don't think about dislocated as a very positive idea, right? You have dislocated shoulder. Anybody had that? That's unfun. Um, we've had dislocated fingers playing basketball. Actually, last Sunday, I came so close. I stole my finger really good. I just wanted you to feel bad for me. Um, my dad, actually, you know, he's played basketball his old life. He's like one of those gym rats, you know. And he's dislocated his finger so many times. It's kind of nasty, actually. His pinky won't go back into place. It literally is going this direction. And uh, the grandkids think that's kind of weird. Uh, and then we talk about, okay, this dislocated heart. Like this breaking of our heart, God wants to do that will position you to be strongly used by him. Well, what is a dislocated heart? Dislocated heart is a God-given concern for other for others, that propels us out of our comfort zone. A God-given concern for others that propels us out of our comfort zone. It's a passionate concern for God's agenda that supersedes our own desires for personal peace and prosperity. Whoa. Let me ask you. What problem has gripped your heart? Like, is there an issue? Is there a problem? And when you see it, like, it, your heart just breaks. Like, like, when's the last time you've been confronted with the pain that our country is experiencing, the pain that our world's experiencing, maybe the pain that a friend's going through, the pain of looking at the, the desolation and the destruction of humanity and the homeless society, and your heart just breaks and you weep and you cry? Have you ever wondered what problem grips the heart of God? Yes, last week I had the opportunity to golf. I don't golf hardly ever, once a year, um, so I'm amazing. And it's a golf tournament by, by my buddy's company, and, which is awful for the team I'm on because I'm terrible. But I got a ride with this guy, Eugene, and Eugene was a, kind of a Silicon Valley success story, if you will. I mean, he was working this career, his company got bought, he got paid out, and he was able to take a, a year off. I mean, we would all go, yeah, but then you're confronted with what are you going to do with that time? And he began to talk to me about what he did with that time and how God began to get a hold of his heart and his wife's heart. And so during that time, he went to Jordan to work with refugees. And then because they have small kids, his wife couldn't go at the same time. So then his wife goes at another time. And he's just telling me he's about their experience and what's happening over there. And his heart is being gripped by what grabs the heart of God, a people that are in desperate need of the love of Jesus and who just simply need need to be cared for. See, a dislocated heart moves us out of our own peace and prosperity to God's agenda on this planet. What problem has gripped your heart? Well, what does a dislocated heart look like? Let me give you a couple examples. First example is that of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 says this. Next slide. Next slide. 
In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, mindset or attitude or perspective as Christ Jesus. Who, now don't run past this, being in very nature God, Jesus, fully God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The pre-incarnate Christ, for all eternity past, has been surrounded by angelic hosts declaring 24-7, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, arrayed in splendor and majesty, the all-glorious, all-powerful. And his heart broke for his creation. His heart broke for you. His heart broke to the extent that in one translation, he would empty himself. Become a man and walk in our shoes and take our place. That's why when the Pharisees were questioning him, he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. My aim, my mission, my purpose, what breaks my heart is I came to seek and save that which is lost. It's what a dislocated heart looks like. Think about the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. What a, this is an incredibly profound statement by the Apostle Paul. Notice his broken heart for the things that break God's. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? For I could, for it, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Like Paul's heart so broke for his people. I mean, just the depth of this is unfathomable. Like I wish I could be cut off if that would allow every one of my brothers and sisters to know you. See, I think we wrestle too much in our society and our culture about being great. It's not so much about doing something great for God. It's about letting God do something great in you. It's about letting God do the great work in you, and he'll do the work through you. And we get caught up with trying to be Instagram famous and doing all these other things that are going on around us. And Silicon Valley, I mean, that's, that's the area. People move here to do something great. But would you allow God to do a great work in you? So how do you develop this dislocated heart? How do we become that type of person that, that God says, I'm going to just strongly support? The first thing we see is that we need to do an honest evaluation. Like, like where is my heart really? What's going on in my heart? Colossians 1.3 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated. 
Like, God, I'm going to set my heart on your things, on your dreams, not mine. I'm going to set my heart on your desires, not mine, where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. Uh, Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 6. He would say, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if you identify your treasure, you've found your heart. If you identify what you treasure most, you'll, you'll discover where your heart is. Where's your heart? Like, do an honest evaluation of where you're at. A few questions here. Do I really care for the people around me? Do I really care for the people around me? Let me just tell you a very honest story. I was at Pete's uh, a few weeks ago. That's where I study. That's where I work. I paid two seventy five to rent office space there at a table. Honestly, if you're Pete's and Willow Glen at about between like five and nine, I'll probably be there. You can come say hi, but I'll be really focused. I was there, and it's Will Glenn, and Will Glenn's got this nice, safe bubble, and, you know, it's this amazing environment. I love raising my kids there, and, and I'm sitting in this corner, and a homeless man comes in, and quite honestly, we don't have a whole lot of homeless in Will Glenn, and, and this homeless man comes in, and he smells terrible, uh, and, and he's completely barefoot, and he's sitting across the way where I cannot ignore him. And he's kind of got his head down, and he's sleeping, and he's looking, you know, he's got his coffee, and he actually had a little bit to eat, and I mean, just but completely disheveled, and I'm, I'm like trying to study God's word, and I can't help but notice the homeless guy. And I just kind of wanted to focus. I kind of wanted to retreat, if I'm really honest, and, and then I was confronted. Well, do you really care about what I care about? Yeah. Let's be real. In that moment, I want to, but I really didn't. I care about being comfortable, honest, more, more often than not. About just getting to do my little thing. I don't really want to be confronted with the pain around me because then I feel like I got to respond to it. I saw that he was shoeless, and I was like, okay, God, maybe this is what you're doing. Um, and so finally, I was like, okay, I'll engage him. I go over to him, and I just kind of bend down and talk to him a little bit. I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? What's going on? Yada, yada, yada. We talk. I'm like, I can't help to notice you're, you don't have any shoes. What, what size are your feet? Now, I just got to give you the heads up. This story doesn't end awesome. Didn't, because he wears a ten and a half, and I wear a nine and a half. But what God did in that moment was confronted me to ask the question: Do I really care about the people that He's placed in front of me? Am I so wrapped up in the details of my life that other people are interruptions rather than opportunities to serve in the name of Jesus? Does it matter to me what's happening in other places in the world? For those who've traveled outside of the U.S. especially, you'll notice that the rest of the world pays attention to what happens in the U.S., but ironically, we don't pay attention much to what happens around the world. 
We're very consumed with our own politics, aren't we? And yet not consumed with the pain and the suffering that's going on all around us. Today, 30,000 kids will die because of preventable diseases and lack of water. Do I really care what's happening around me? Or have I become so desensitized to the pain and suffering? I mean... When you see that World Vision commercial or Compassion International, you see like those realities. I, I don't know if you are like me. Oh, good grief. This is like Ryan's Confession Sunday. More often than not, I flip the channel instead of engage and pray. And I'm like, okay, I give to World Vision so I feel good about myself. Developing a dislocated heart requires that we have an honest evaluation. Where is your heart? And then it takes a genuine repentance. To repent means to change one's mind about life and about the way you're going about life. When you change your mind, then you change the direction you're headed. That's what repentance means in the Bible. It does not mean that you just feel bad about something or you feel guilty about it. That is not biblical repentance. Repentance is this idea of I've been heading in this direction. Oh my goodness, it was the wrong direction. I need to turn around. I've changed my mind. And I'm going to head in a brand new direction. Repentance, true biblical repentance, is always followed by action. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed any longer. Don't allow your life to be molded and shaped. It's literally the word to be squeezed by the pattern of this world. But be transformed. Allow your life to be transformed, your mind to be transformed by the renewing of God's word. Get into God's word and allow his word to change your thinking. See, genuine repentance for us means that we need to um, admit we have a consumer mindset. Admit that, that honestly, I'm not going to speak for you. I get consumed with my own comforts. That my heart drifts to my agenda, not God's agenda. How do we develop a dislocated heart, honest evaluation, genuine repentance, and then a careful consideration? Now, Nehemiah, he asks, he listens. And then I want you to notice what he does, right? He, he asks, he, he, he's, he's evaluating the landscape, but he doesn't have this knee-jerk emotional reaction. That's our tendency in our society is emotionalism. And we re- react emotionally, and we react in the moment, and we feel good in that moment, but it's not followed up by a sustained way of living, a new direction in life. And the reality is, is if you just react emotionally, when it gets hard, you give up. See, it's not about an emotional reaction. It is about a deep conviction based on God's word of what's right and what's true. And you take a careful consideration. And so he asks, he listens, and then there's a four-month gap. We know by the text of what happens where it says uh, at the end, I wept for, mourned, and fasted for some days. Those some days was four months before, well, week three, he'll go before the king. He is a careful consideration. 
of what's next. And the reason this is important is for some, just as I've been talking, fears have been gurgling up, right? Like a dislocated heart, a broken heart. Oh my goodness. I'm afraid of what might, well, what if God asked me to do something in the financial area that would be a challenge? What, what if God asked me to do something I don't really want to do? By the way, I never wanted to plant a church. Welcome to Awakening. If it's your first time, I'm the pastor that didn't want to do this. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> My wife said, there's two things I don't ever want you to do. Plant a church or lead a church. Welcome. Here we are. In fact, Steve Clifford at Westgate, and that's where I worked before, two years before we ever started Awakening Church, he said, would you plan a church? And I said, well, let me pray about it. Honestly, I prayed half-heartedly, came back a month later, said no. I couldn't dream of doing anything different now. See, some of our fears of I don't want to cause us to miss out on what God created us to do, and you're missing out on the best that God has for you. And could it be some of the things you say, I don't want to do, you don't actually understand how you're made, because I didn't understand it, and you're not leaning into his design for your life, and where you begin to go, no, God, my life's yours. You lead, you take the lead. You want me to say hi to that person? Cool, I'll say hi to that person. You want me to host like a party at my house for my neighbors and coworkers? Cool, I'll do that too. Um, like, like, like whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Maybe God will ask you to do something you don't really want to do, and in the process you'll find is what you were made to do. What if God asked me to go somewhere unfamiliar? Isn't that one of our fears? In fact, it's funny because I have a number of South African friends, and in, in, in America, like, our fear is that God would send us to Africa, you know, and they're like, why? What's, you know, um, like, what if I have to go somewhere unfamiliar, out of my comfort zone? You probably will, and it probably won't be Africa. What if God overwhelms me with the needs of this world? Like, like, as I've been talking, for some of you, you're hyper-feelers, right? I don't mean that negatively. I think you're, you're, we need you in the church, but you can't watch the news because you take it on, right? You, you, it just weighs you down. And just the thought of having a dislocated heart is like, I can't take anymore. And could you trust that God will lead you gently in the ways that you need to be led in this moment to create a heart that beats after his heart? How do we develop this dislocated heart? Honest evaluation, genuine repentance, careful consideration, and then finally, simply ask God. Ask God. Ask God. Would you have the courage to pray and ask God to break your heart for the things that break His? Like the eyes of the Lord in this moment are searching to and fro throughout the entire earth in this room for a heart that's fully his, that he might strongly support you. So the first prerequisite is a dislocated heart, that our heart just begins to break for his, the things that are on his heart. And would you pray? Would you pray, Heavenly Father, 
Would you break my heart for what breaks your heart? In fact, you have this three by five card. We printed it and paid money for it so that you would keep it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you put this wherever you'll see it daily? For some, that's your car. For some, that's your mirror. For me, it's my fridge because I love to eat. (laughs) Wherever you would see it daily, and would you pray over the course of this series that prayer? Heavenly Father, I recognize that your eyes are moving to and fro throughout the whole earth for a heart that's fully yours. And man, I want to be in that position. I want to be that man. I want to be that kind of woman that when you look at me, when you see me, you would go, man, I can't wait to get behind that person. I can't wait to fuel them and breathe life into them and what they're doing because my heart beats for you. Would we be that kind of church? Would you lean into that? And would you pray that prayer? Would you stand with me? We're going to close and worship the song, You Can Have It All. And for some, you're not in a place where you can sing that, and that's okay. And I'd encourage you, come to the front for prayer. Go to the back for prayer when you're in that place of, I'm in wrestling. I'm in wrestling. And maybe you're like me with that homeless man. When confronted, do you really care? And the honest answer is no, but I want to. God even responds to that. God says, I can actually change your desires if you'll invite me in. I can change your heart if you'll invite me in. I can change the beating and the pattern and the rhythm of your heart if you'll invite me in. Heavenly Father, think about that. Would you pray with me? How cool is that? That we get to call you Father. That you've invited us in. The almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic God of the universe whom angels are surrounding singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you have invited us into your abode to call you Father. May that never be lost on us. God, I pray, would you break our heart? Would you keep us from being a people that just go about life unthinkingly, apathetically? Would you make us a people whose hearts are yours, whose hearts break for what yours break? And would you, would you when you look on this church, we go, man, I'm going to support them. That's a church that beats after my heart. I can't wait to breathe my life and my movement through them. Make us that church. In Jesus' strong name, amen.